Hey everyone, it's the fifth episode of the Progress Podcast with Martin Longman. Hey folks. And Brandon Squire. It's I gotta admit, it's been a minute since we put out an episode. There's been a lot going on, and I think in both of our lives. Uh, as for me, I moved at the end of the month, which kind of threw a wrench in, in the production schedule. And then I wound up getting sick for a bit. That's on top of me keeping up with marathon training, teaching. And Martin's got a lot of stuff going on with him, his kids' soccer tournaments. And, you know, both of us follow football. And there's been at least one time where he chose the game over politics. Yeah, that's for sure. Speaking of, Marty, your uh, your beloved Giants just pulled off an excruciating win over the Commanders this afternoon. I was watching that earlier today. And uh, tonight, the Philadelphia Eagles face off against the Miami Dolphins in just a couple hours. Uh, let, let's hope they do a little better than they did against the uh, uh, the freaking Jets over there. What a, what a, what a humiliation. That was a humiliation. So uh, let's get this show on the road. Um, and by the way, folks, I promise you, we will be talking about Gaza and what's going on in the Middle East at a later date. Um, but for now, we're going to focus on the dumpster fire in the house because that's pretty much exactly what you said was going to happen. Right, Marty? I mean, listeners and readers who've been following my analysis of the house, um, really since the 2022 midterms, um, They'll know that I predicted the exact situation we're in now, where the Republicans cannot run the place because they don't have the votes on their own to pass spending bills. And without Democratic help, the government is going to shut down. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, exactly what you predicted. Um, if I remember correctly, you said that the doodly 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 doodly, you said the functional majority of the Congress is that group of lawmakers that pays our debts on time and passes our appropriations bills. Right. We saw in in May, June, that the functional majority, which extended the debt ceiling to pay our debts on time, was made up mostly of Democrats. It's a, it's a bipartisan caucus. Yeah, right. And at the end of uh, September, uh, uh, McCarthy used another bipartisan caucus, again, made up of mostly Democrats, to pass that 45-day uh, continuing resolution to keep the government open. Which caused Matt Gates to make a motion to vacate the chair. And that led to McCarthy getting bounced out of power. Which is precisely what I predicted would happen. And the reason I was able to predict it is because I knew McCarthy could never keep the government open with just Republican votes. And I knew going to the Democrats would cause a motion to vacate, which he would lose. So, um, so um, what happens now? Well, the reason the Republicans can't elect a speaker is still mainly because they only have a four-member majority. Uh, technically, they have a 221 to 212 majority, but that means they can't win a vote for speaker if more than four Republicans don't support that speaker. And there's an element of personal Ill, Ill will involved here. I mean, there's just some folks that don't like Kevin McCarthy because they think he's uh, too moderate. They don't like Steve Scalise for whatever reason. They don't like Jim Jordan for a whole lot of reasons. Um, but underneath the issues those three folks had, uh, it's still really about spending. It's really they can't agree because they can't agree to fund the government. Well, I you know I can't imagine how anybody would not like uh, someone like Kevin McCarthy or uh, 
David Duke without the baggage, Steve Scalise, or, you know, <laughs> I, I can't imagine why someone wouldn't like with someone who turns his, his a blind eye to students getting molested at Ohio State like yeah. Jim Jordan. But, you know, hey, that's just me. But uh, but yeah, it's the thing, it, you know, folks on the hard right, they just refuse to vote for spending at levels that will be acceptable to the White House or frankly, for 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 that matter, to Senate Republicans. Correct. Right. And so they're stuck. Yeah. And remember, the House has these two irris- uh, indispensable responsibilities. They need to pay our debts and they need to uh, pass our spending bills and they won't agree on a speaker who will do those two things. So therefore, they don't have a functional majority. And what the Congress needs now is to create a coalition that represents a true functional majority. And the key is that the functional majority is the group of folks who voted for McCarthy's continuing resolution. I'm looking at that vote now. And uh, yeah, that's a pretty big majority. That passed uh, uh, 335 to 91. All but one Democrat voted for it. And the majority of Republicans, 126 to 90, supported it too. Yeah, the one, the one. By the way, the one Democrat who voted no uh, was this guy Mike Quigley out in the Chicago area, and he has this big Ukrainian constituency. And when they, when McCarthy passed the CR, one of the things he had to do was drop the Ukrainian funding out of it. And so Quigley was basically just protesting that. I mean, so it was. I mean, it was basically unanimous that the Democrats voted for the continuing resolution. Well, I can understand Quigley uh, with that constituency voting no as a protest, but still, that's a very big majority who supported it. Yeah, there's a big majority for avoiding government shutdowns, and there's a big majority for aid to Ukraine, and there's also a big majority for aid to Israel. And still, about 40 percent of the Republican caucus voted against McCarthy's CR. And as we said, all but one Democrat voted for it. And the thing is, is McCarthy got booted for relying on Democrats. So it's not it's not simply something that that can be repeated. Yeah, that's the issue right now. Um, I I saw a great explanation of this in political playbook, which is uh, a thing they put together each weekday. Ryan Lizza does it with a couple other people. Um, they're talking about a bipartisan solution to this speaker impasse and, um, which would mean like a speaker elected by a combination of Democrats and Republicans. And, and I'm just going to read a paragraph from that article here. Um, so quote, such an idea, however, runs contrary to the underlying politics of the house, a chamber governed by majority rule led by a party that has pitched its platform to voters and won. If Republicans agreed to a power sharing agreement, they'd have a big problem explaining themselves to constituents, not to mention big donor or sorry, big dollar donors, unquote. And uh, there's actually from you can see from that there's actually two problems. First is just the unprecedented nature of it. Yeah. Um, Yeah. As they say, power sharing a power sharing agreement runs contrary to the underlying politics of the house. The house is not really organized from the committee level on down to operate in a bipartisan way. Right. Right. Um, And second, everyone who works so hard to help the Republicans win a majority, you know, we're talking about the big donors, um, but also the voters, you know, and then the mighty right wing Wurlitzer media that they have. All of them work very hard to help the Republicans win this 
majority in the House, and they'd be just apoplectic if the powers of that majority are diluted or bargained away in some deal with the Democrats. Oh, hell yeah. I mean, they're they're apoplectic that Matt McCarthy relied on Democratic votes to begin with. So they'd lose their minds. They would lose their freaking minds if they ceded formal power to the Democrats. Oh, my God. I I, I can't even imagine the the freak out that that you'd see. I I can't even imagine it. Yeah, that's that's the obstacle. But I think here's where I got to admit that I did get something wrong. Yeah. What's that? I did not realize that after 9-11, the House passed a bill to deal with the contingency where I, I guess the Speaker of the House has been killed in a terrorist attack. OK, so they they pass this thing. And what it meant is like when you become the Speaker of the House, you make a list. You don't. it's a secret list. You don't tell anybody. And you put a bunch of names on there. I don't know whether it was five names, something like that, of the people who like if you get killed. Uh, this person will step in and be like a temporary speaker. Okay. So um, I didn't know that this law had passed. And so what happened is when McCarthy was booted out of the chair, this 9-11 law, this like terrorism thing clicked in. And what it meant, yeah. And what it meant was they they undid the envelope, you know, and lo and behold, this guy, Patrick Mahet, uh, McHenry from North Carolina, was the first guy on the list. Um, so when I when I hear you say they open the envelope, the first thing I think of is is Johnny Carson is Karnak. And then the second thing I think of is and this is really probably esoteric, but when I was a kid, there was a show on television called the Dollar Ninety Eight Beauty Pageant, and women be they would open the envelope, and the winner would win like a bunch of carrots and a dollar ninety eight. And so that's what I imagine <laughs> Patrick McHenry gets is his bunch of carrots. But uh, yeah. he's yeah, I know who he is. He's actually been around for a while, and he's the he's the little dork dude who wears the the bow tie. He basically looks like uh, remember uh, remember uh, uh, Mr. Peabody and Sherman from the old Rocky and Bullwinkle show. Oh yeah, it's like if if it's like if it's like if Mr. Peabody and Sherman had a baby together. Which I'm that, sorry for putting that in your mind, but that's exactly what Patrick McHenry looks like. And he's exactly. nuts, by the way. He's virulently anti-gay. He uh he won't let gay. I've read that he won't let gay people in his office, or he wouldn't let gay people in his office for some time. And yet, at the other hand, there's rumors that he's tied to some like weird same-sex escort agency. Oh, I don't Jesus. know if that's true. They're just, just rumors. But and I'm not saying anything's true. But I've heard people have said there's speculation out there. Yeah, but I, you know, I, the guy has to stand on a box. <laughs> I don't know. He's five foot tall, maybe. And uh, with the bow tie. But anyway, Patrick McHenry won the special dollar 98 prize or whatever that is with the carrots. <laughs> and uh, and he became the the speaker pro tempore is what they call this position. Um, And I as I said, I did not predict this. And it threw a little bit of a wrench in things for a minute. Yeah. Um. Well, that was the thing where they were uh, they were talking about making him a more permanent speaker or at least uh, giving him more powers. Am I correct? Yeah, it looked like it might actually happen, too. And and like I said, I didn't anticipate it. But, 
it is consistent with my prediction that the Republicans would try everything before acknowledging that they can't spend uh, they can't pass spending bills on their own. Okay, so with the uh, with the McHenry thing, what are we talking about here? The idea there was McHenry could be given the power to bring certain bills to the floor for a limited time, and this might be unconstitutional because Article One, Section Two of the Constitution says. The House of Representatives shall choose their speaker and other officers. And that's exactly what the House has not done um, and what the Republicans seem incapable of doing. But um, on the other hand, doesn't Section 5 say something about um, each house may, yeah, each house may determine the rules of its proceedings. So can't they do whatever they want to do? That's the debate, I guess. Um, You know, one side says the House has to choose a speaker before they can do anything else. And the other side says we can do whatever we want. The Constitution says we can make our own rules. Um, anyway, I assume the people who supported the idea of empowering McHenry had spoken to the parliamentarian and got a green light. Otherwise, I don't know why the idea got such traction. But the other problem was that McHenry hated the idea. Yeah, I have this quote from an article in The Hill where uh, Greg Murphy of North Carolina says he talked to McHenry about it. And McHenry says, do you hate me that much? <laughs> and I can yeah. see what he's talking about. And I have another quote from this guy, Chip Roy of Texas. He was one of the big reasons that took McCarthy 15 votes to become speaker in January to begin with. And uh, Roy is a piece of work. He's quoted as saying, if the House GOP dares cut a deal with Dems to empower a speaker pro tem in violation of tradition and norms and possibly the Constitution is like to likely pass another revolution. Pardon me, I'm sputtering because I can feel him sputtering. He finally comes to this shrieking thing about about continuing revolutions at Pelosi, continuing resolutions at Pelosi levels, unpaid supplementals, including Ukraine, and culminates with the GOP might as well be the Whigs. That's some pretty, uh, that's some pretty uh, powerful, crazy rhetoric from Mr. Roy over there. So yeah. I guess, uh, so I guess uh, to, <laughs> to get back to Earth, I guess McHenry doesn't uh, really relish taking that kind of criticism. <laughs> yeah, and I'd like to, I'd like to. <laughs> I'd like to highlight that thing there where he says that passing another CR is passing it at Pelosi levels, because that's true. Like the, the when you do a continuing resolution, you're just continuing funding at the present level. And the present level was set when Pelosi was still the Speaker of the House. So that's his that's his complaint there. Um, I saw also at another point that while this was going on, and people were talking to McHenry about maybe this is a way out that we could give you these temporary powers that he said, if you guys elevate me and give me these extra powers, you're going to find out who's second on Kevin's list, which yeah. means like on that, that secret envelope, you know, I said, there's like five names. Kevin McHenry was the first name. Yeah. He's saying, I'm going to quit. And then you're going to have to open the envelope again and see who's the second guy on the list and have him be your temporary speaker. Yep. Oh boy, they might not like that even less. <laughs> but remember, like Henry is McCarthy's closest buddy, and and he's seen as part of the problem by the far right. So they would not elect him speaker. Now the Democrats might help elect McHenry speaker, but only if he made some big concessions that would make the Republicans' heads explode. Yeah, well, uh, anyway, that that idea wasn't going anywhere. 
And then our buddy uh, Jim Turnablind Eye Jordan failed a third time and got booted in a secret vote by the Republican caucus. They told him to stand down. And then Biden <laughs> Biden said Jordan got his rear end kicked. <laughs> that was funny as hell. And then he sarcastically said uh, his heart ached for Jim Jordan. It's just <laughs> sarcasm. His payback for tormenting his son, Hunter. <laughs> anyway, so my original analysis didn't allow for this halfway solution of temporarily empowering a speaker pro tempore, but now we're back to what I did expect, which is a cleaner decision, forcing the Republicans to either form a bipartisan coalition or they keep electing partisan speakers who can't pass bills without Democratic votes. And then the next speaker gets bounced just like McCarthy. And then there's what's happening now, which is neither of those things. A situation where the speakership just sits vacant for weeks, complete paralysis. Doesn't this ultimately come down to what price the Democrats want to extract? Oh, I think the first thing is that the Republicans have to give up on the idea of electing a speaker with just Republican votes. And but, you know, they could still figure out a way to agree on a speaker. Well, apparently there um, I think there's nine of them now running. Yeah. So maybe they can coalesce around one of those nine. And uh, <laughs> yeah, right. And then <laughs> well, then they'll immediately have to figure out how to avoid a government shutdown in mid-November. And the only way to do that is with Democratic votes, which is what McCarthy did that got him booted. By the way, I think the uh, the shutdown is scheduled for the either the day before I run my marathon or the day after I run my marathon. But do you, um, need, do you need any government funding for that? <laughs> Homeland Security Department. Yeah, who knows, right? Who knows after after Boston, right? But uh, jokes, uh, dark humor aside, uh, wouldn't this hypothetical speaker that they've coalesced around? Wouldn't that hypothetical speaker have to have promised not to do exactly that in order to get the votes? Yeah, he promised not to fund the government at levels that the White House or the Senate find acceptable. That that would seem to be the price of getting those holdouts that booted McCarthy, right? Right. Um, so that's the root of the problem, and that's why they're not coalescing around anyone. So uh, so maybe none of these nine guys, and um, they're all guys, uh, can get it done and can get elected speaker, right? Right? I think it's possible they can't get it done. And then we get to the dreaded negotiation with the Democrats. And when we were talking about elevating McHenry, it was clear that there would have to be some concessions made for Democratic support. And what they were talking about was changing the rules or the how the rules committee works so that they could bring votes to the floor that have majority support, right? So that the minority can't, a, a, a small group of Republicans can't prevent what people want. So like if they want to pass a bill for Ukraine aid, they can do that. You know, they want to pass a bill for Israeli aid. If they want disaster relief money, if they want maybe some funding for the border, right? These things that they can all that the House definitely wants to pass um, and to keep the government open. Right. Yeah. Um, so if those things can all pass through, then the Democrats might agree that some of them or most of them or all of them would vote for some Republican speaker to get out of this impasse. Um, and the uh, the same would be even more true for Democratic support for an actual 
uh, versus a temporary speaker, right? Yeah. I mean, then we're talking something more serious, which is um, perhaps some kind of true sharing uh, power sharing arrangement for the Democrats, you know, maybe rejiggering the committees um, so that they have an even number of Democrats and Republicans or something along those lines. Um, and, and that's exactly what the Republicans don't want, um, because that is the first one loses control of the floor, which is bad yep. enough. The second one actually loses control of the House because they're no longer a majority on the committees and they no longer control the agenda. So they're functionally in the minority at that point. So that's what they're desperate to avoid. And, uh, but if they can't figure it out, then the speakership will remain vacant and the government will shut down and disaster relief and foreign aid won't happen. So it's, uh, it's basically either one of those scenarios. And by the way, I, I cannot see them agreeing to anything like that until they absolutely have to. And even then it might be too late, but, uh, yeah. It's either one of those scenarios or the GOP elects a new speaker on their own, but but we're immediately back to square one with them on that because they've already shown several times that they can't elect a speaker on their own. So we're back to square one with them needing Democratic votes, and then you have the motion to vacate and everything that happened to McCarthy, right? Right. The math is always dictated that a strictly partisan Republican speaker who relies only on Republican votes would not be able to govern. And everything is we've seen has flowed from that. It's why I was able to predict all this, save for the speaker pro tempore thing. I was able to predict this all back in December when I saw there was no red wave in the midterm elections. By the way, there's uh, there's one thing I want to talk about here before we move on. Uh, I saw in the Washington Post that one of the reasons Jim Jordan couldn't become speaker is that a bunch of Republicans don't like the fact that he won't acknowledge that Trump lost the 2020 election fair and square. And then I saw in Politico that one of the main dudes, one of the nine guys um, who are now running for speaker is this guy, Tom Emmer from Minnesota. Right. And and Trump is trying to sink him because he's not Trumpy enough. And he actually does admit that Biden legitimately won the 2000 election. 2020 election. 2020 election. Pardon I do me. that all the time, too. I, yeah. Um, yeah. And that's another reason the Republicans can't get. 217 votes to elect a partisan speaker uh, because they can't agree, you know, on these fundamental issues. Right. It's uh, it, it's not just they can't agree to spend money to keep the government open. They can't agree that Trump lost or won or or whatever. I'm not sure which they're supposed to agree to at this point. Right. It's a uh, they are all supposed to agree that he won or they're all supposed to think he got cheated or I don't know. But that's one reason why sooner or later there has to be a bipartisan coalition because the GOP really doesn't have a majority. You know, they don't have a majority that will do what Trump wants, which is, you know, elect a speaker that does that is an election denier. I mean, that guy, Ken Buck out in Colorado, he's a member of the Freedom Caucus. Oh, he's yeah. Really, yeah. He was really explicit that he opposed Jim Jordan because he wouldn't come out and admit that Joe Biden won. Yep. And he's hardly alone. And one thing. And Ken is, Buck, by the way, lost his lease because of that. I heard that. Yeah. Yeah. Like, he lost like, his uh, his landlord. His landlord kicked the kicked their office out of the building, uh, complained yeah. about it, complained about his stance on Trump. Yeah. Because <laughs> his vote on Jim Jordan, you know, figure that out. Um, yeah. 
I've also read that the uh, Republicans, many of the Republicans who oppose Jordan are staggering their no votes so that he kind of slowly but surely bled out over the series of votes, losing by more and more each time. (laughs) Yeah, so there's one thing like, so they do these votes. There's the internal caucus thing, right? So the Republicans meet behind closed doors and they have a secret ballot. So you can vote for whoever you want and no one can just run out and say, uh, how you voted so you don't get all these death threats and you don't get Trump coming after you. Right. So it, it's a secret ballot. And so after Jordan failed a third time, they went in and they did a secret ballot on whether he should drop out. And I, f- I forget, I did read the actual numbers on this. It was something like high fifties or something that wanted him to stay in. But when they had to vote on the floor, he only lost like 25 votes. Ugh. So it shows you how much pressure these people are under that. Oh, yeah. Like only, I guess what they got, like they got like almost 225. I saw CNN broadcast a uh, broadcast, the audio of a death threat. One of the uh, one of his opponents received. Uh, oh, yeah. Oh yeah, it was brutal. Oh my god, left a death threat for the guy's wife. Just absolutely appalling. Totally yeah, crazy. Go after the guy's wife. Yeah, that's going to work. That convinces people of all sorts of stuff. But hey know. man, we got to wrap this up. I know it's yeah, been a one issue show this do. week. Let's uh we're we going to try to get our, be- We got to rest our voices, get better from these colds we've had. We do. Both of us you sound I'm getting over it. You sound like you're just getting into the uh into the whole so, folks, that's going to be out about it for this rare one-topic episode of the Progress Podcast. We will see you next week. Our music, as always, is provided by the Royal Hounds, the most amazing rock and roll honky-tonk band out of Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, if you like what you're hearing, please share us on Facebook, the platform formerly known as Twitter, and any platform of your choice. You know you can find us out here on Spotify, but also, I believe, Apple Podcasts, I think, finally, and all the other podcast platforms of your choice. Um, drop us a line. Let us know if there's any topics you'd like us to talk about. Got any questions? Drop us a line. We'll see you online, folks. Take it easy, everybody. Until next time. Frankenstein with a rock in his sock. Hey! Hey!